Underway. It is a Thursday, December 28th. This hour of Flames Talk getting going with Steinberg and Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio on this Thursday. Hello, Vix. Uh, happy uh, happy belated Christmas to you. And you as well, although I feel like we exchanged a couple text messages over the little mini sure holiday break. Did. I just wanted to make sure. That I appreciate that. Uh, got that. Uh, got that on the record. Um, so Flames are now officially underway on their post-holiday schedule. They played Wednesday night and played to a 2-1 loss against the Seattle Kraken, a night that was, you know, in, in some ways a, a little frustrating if you were a Flames fan. A lot of a lot of territorial advantage and not a whole lot to show from it. Uh, I know that Eric Francis asked a question to Michael Backlund post-game on Wednesday about, you know, did that feel like last year? And I was having those similar thoughts when watching the games. It kind of felt like a, you know, last year game where they had a ton of zone time in the final 40 minutes of play, but really didn't do a whole lot in turning that zone time into, you know, super dangerous looking opportunities. Anyway, I digress. The drought continues for Jonathan Huberdeau and the conversation is all about Jonathan Huberdeau when it comes to what I'm seeing online, what I'm seeing people talking about on other shows, what people were buzzing about at the rink at practice on Thursday morning where Huberto was on a different line with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich, which we'll get to, but it's now 12 games without a point and 17 games without a goal for Jonathan Huberto. There is a very real chance that Jonathan will go the entire month of December without registering a point. And I know we have talked about this. This is not the first time we've talked about Jonathan's struggles. This is, I mean, look, we we went through last year. Last year was a nightmare. And this year has been worse from a production standpoint for Jonathan. So I, in a lot of ways, I don't know what more there is to say. And yet it still is the dominant topic surrounding the Calgary Flames. How can you stop talking about it at this point, Vix? It's, it's one of the biggest stories surrounding this group. And, and to be perfectly honest, it's one of the biggest stories that I can remember covering with one individual on this team. It, it, it remains one of the hottest topics after every single flames game on our post game show. And it's just kind of taken on a brand new life and, or even a larger life with this slump that he's in right now that is approaching an entire calendar month long. The legend is growing and not in a positive way when it comes to the narrative around Jonathan Huberto. And you mentioned it, 12 games without a point. He doesn't have a point in December. There's a one game remaining in the month. And as you mentioned, there's a very realistic chance he goes a full calendar month without registering a point. And I remember having these same conversations with you last season when he had 55 points. Well, now he's on pace for 30. He's on pace for a 20-point drop year over year after dropping 60, 60 
And the conversation was, well, from a production standpoint, like this has got to be a low point for Jonathan Huberto. The coach has been shuffled out, a new one shuffled in. Maybe that'll inject some new life into the production of Jonathan Huberto, the offensive flair of Jonathan Huberto. And, you know, he comes back a summer rejuvenated, a summer more settled than he was a year prior when he was traded to the Calgary Flames and somewhat of a surprise move. Yeah. And here we are talking about a 20-point drop now, season over season. That's going to be 80 two years removed. Like, that's incredible. And there are some good signs in his game. I might get roasted on the text line at 960-960 for that, but like he's in the 90th percentile for offensive zone time, which makes this all the more puzzling that he's gone pointless through the month of December as of Thursday, December 28th. Yet his zone time throughout the season, he's spending a lot of time in the opposition end and has not a lot to show for it. It's, it's been a massive talking point last season. It's been a massive talking point through the first three months this season. And it's not going to go away until it turns around one way or the other. Yeah. It's, uh, what, what, are, what are you observing right now from Jonathan? Because for me... I, I have seen a, a mix of of bad luck. I, I really have. I, I do think there has been a snake bitten nature to his game. I, I look at some of the. I look at the the Anaheim game where he had numerous good looks on his stick, and and he just was. Lucas Dostal made a couple of really good stops on him and wasn't able to score a goal at times when he's been shooting it. He's got he's ran into you know a four or five ten bell stops from yeah. an opposing goaltender. I thought Wednesday against Seattle he had some really nice uh, some really nice forays offensively where he had things going on on other players' sticks and and created some quality opportunities. I even look back to the L.A. game. He had you know a really high quality number three assist on the power play goal that Blake Coleman scored but they don't count number three assists. Like, that that goal doesn't happen if Huberdeau doesn't make an incredible pass at the left blue line, finds Uyghur, Uyghur moves it down to Rizicka who shoots it, and then there's Coleman on the rebound. Well, the, the, the play that started it all was a beautiful pass through a body and around a body from Huberdeau to Uyghur, but he doesn't get credited with the assist. So I, just, there's, I, I do think there's been... A, a bad luck nature in some of what we're seeing from Jonathan, but there are also things that just aren't working. There are past that th- there continue to be, you know, some grade a opportunities that maybe he opts not to shoot on. Um, there have been some situations where maybe the easy play isn't made and a lower percentage pass that would be beautiful if it ends up being made, but that's the, the play that he decides to make and it ends up being intercepted. So, I do think there have been some positives. I do think that we're seeing some things that say, okay, yeah, he's being creative and, and he's making some nice plays, but it's, it's, it's not translating to points at this point. And when it comes down to it, at $10.5 million, he's being paid to produce points. I see a lot of what you're seeing, and I'm seeing it inconsistently. There's, okay. there's some situations he finds himself in where, yeah, be direct, take the shot, and we saw 6-7 shot performance not too long ago out of Jonathan Huberto, but then there's times where he's got that play and elects to make a low percentage pass that kills a play. It happened in Anaheim. It happened in Anaheim, yes, that's exactly the one I'm thinking of. And it's just, and then at other times there's the really nice low percentage play that he completes that he probably completed with regularity as a member of the Florida Panthers, but then it doesn't get finished. So I can see 
the frustration in him in several different ways, if that makes sense to you, in terms of his decision-making, I guess. And sometimes he makes the wrong play when the easy play is in front of him and it doesn't work. And he makes the low percentage skill play that just doesn't get converted. And that's frustrating as well. So I, I can't imagine, and I can't speak for him, but I can't imagine how much a pointless November, December, pardon me, weighs on a guy and whether or not he even realizes how many games it's been like, he knows he hasn't gotten a point in however long. I don't think he could pinpoint exactly the date the last time he got a point, but this starts to weigh on you. And with every passing game, I've got to imagine that weight gets a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier. Well, and a little we're going to heavier. We're going to hear from him in just a second. But one of the things that, um, that, that he said was uh, I, at this point I could go 60 games without a point. It'd feel the same because you can tell that as, as, Look, I I appreciate Jonathan's willingness and ability to come out and, and answer our questions whenever requested, and he doesn't shy away from it, doesn't make excuses. I, I appreciate I really yes. do appreciate the accountability and even the, the straight-up honesty. A lot of times, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that... I think he remains very flabbergasted himself as to why so many things that have worked so long for him aren't working just because he changed jersey colors. Um, and I know that there's more to that, but it is it it has seemed like you go from one end of the continent to the other, and it's like a completely different on ice set of on ice results. I think he remains baffled by what what it's what's happening, but. Yeah, he's like, I, this is weighing on him. And as much as he's trying for it not to weigh on him, it's impossible not to because he, know, he knows more than anybody that it's not working. He knows better than Vix or me or you on the text line or all the people on, on social. He knows more than anybody that it's not working, and he knows more than anybody that he has not registered a point in quite some time. And... You know, there, there's a lot of things you can do as a pro athlete to block out noise and to um, get through difficult stretches. But I would imagine it's impossible for a player as proud and who cares as much. And that's the one thing that that I continue to notice is that I, I really don't get the sense that this guy is checked out. No, I, I, know, I know he's not. Checked he's invested. Out. I, I exactly. I, I know for a fact he's not checked out. I. It, this guy is extremely invested and cares, and so when you care like he does, oh, this, this is this is crushing him. And I'm not trying to make excuses because you don't really get those excuses when you're the highest paid player on the team and one of the highest paid players in the league. But this is weighing on him more than I think he would let on publicly, and I don't know how it couldn't be at this point. This is going to be an old reference, but it kind of reminds me of Chuck Knobloch of the New York Yankees in early 2000 when he couldn't throw it to first base. And I'm not saying Jonathan Huberto has forgotten how to shoot or pass. Error it was just error, that. Yeah. And, and it, it wasn't a physical thing with Chuck Knobloch. It was very much a mental. Like He's still physically able to move the ball from second to first. He just couldn't do it accurately. And so when you make one error and then another error and it piles on and piles on, it gets you mentally. I, I wonder with every passing play that doesn't result in a goal for the Calgary Flames that involves Jonathan Huberto, it just adds that little bit of a layer of when's the next one going to happen, which begs the question, what happens if one does go in? We haven't seen it spark him through the first season and a third. 
But you just got to wonder if, like, this guy just needs one at this point to maybe take the weight of the world or at least the weight of the Calgary Flames off him a little bit and just go back out and, and be a little bit more relaxed and maybe grip the stick a little less tight, so on and so forth. Um, how do we feel about that switch of specifically moving? And we'll, we'll get into this more with Wilsey on the round table later this hour, but how do we feel specifically about Huberdo being moved back with Lindholm and Manjo, not on Manjapani and, and Sharon Govich, basically swapping Manjapani and Huberdo, putting Huberdo back where he was to start training camp on that line with Lindholm and Sharon Govich. I, I mean, I don't dislike it. I think you need to do, I, I think it was time to make a, a couple of changes with your line combos because, you know, five on five, the offense is, right. has kind of taken a step back here over the last little bit. Um, I don't know if that, I, I don't know if I'm super confident that, this is going to spark everybody, and that's going to be the line that everybody envisioned, but maybe. Uh, but it, I would have been okay with them doing anything different because not that that line with Backlund and Coleman uh, and, and Huberdeau on the left has been poor because the line's been fine. Coleman's been great. They've been very strong defensively, and the two-way game's been good. But you need Huberdeau to be producing and so making a change and maybe moving him into a more offensive role, I, I would have done something else myself, but I don't mind them giving this a try. I'm not lukewarm on it and not cold on it at the same time. That's not going to make any sense whatsoever, but let me explain, because I think this helps Mangiapane more than it helps Huberto. I've not seen <laughs> a real spark or connection between Huberto and, and Elias Lindholm. Yeah. Now... With the way Sharon Govich has played of late, I wonder if you're more trying to move Huberto to Sharon Govich as opposed to moving Huberto back to Lindholm. Fact is, Lind Huberto had zero points in 12 games. Coleman in that span had 11. Granted, four were shorthanded, but even Backlund had six points in those 12 games. So you have a guy that's the center that's got six in 12. The right winger's got 11 in 12, and the left winger had zero in 12. And it's not that dissimilar for Mangiapane, who had three in 12. Sharon Govich had 12 in 12, and Lindholm has eight points in 12 games. Now, we know moving Mangiapane back to Backlund and Coleman, that should be an automatic fit. We've seen that work, whether they've gone away from it for five games or 10 games or just simply uh, had them ride together for an extended period of time. But I'm curious... If it's Sharon Govich, not necessarily Lindholm, but Sharon Govich right. is the guy to get Jonathan Huberto going. Because Sharon Govich, I think he's uh, in a trio of sorts that you could say over the last month has been the best player for the yeah, Calgary Flames. For sure. And you need to put your best player or er players with your highest paid guy in Jonathan Huberto to hopefully jumpstart something, anything. Uh, let's hear from Jonathan right now. He spoke after practice on Thursday and, and look, he addressed it. <laughs> Came right out. There was it was a smaller group of media, but he came right out and he goes, "All right, who's asking the question?" He 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 knows. Yeah. Uh, here's Jonathan Huberdo, uh, starting with a new line with him, Lindholm, and Sharon Govich. You know, it's uh, trying to shake things up, and uh, obviously it was a tough loss last night. You know, I thought we we deserved better. Um, you know, I think uh, just to mix up the line sometimes. Uh, you know, we've been playing with. Been playing backs and Colsey. I thought you know was still pretty good, but I think you know sometimes changing 
get some more energy in the, in the group. And, you know, so sometimes I think it's good to, to mix up the wings. Where's your confidence at? We know the last few games have not been good in terms of your points. You haven't had points in a while. How would you describe it? I think I'm making plays and it's just not going in. I, I mean, maybe that's not what everybody sees, but... In my opinion, I'm making passes, and you know I'm getting getting chances. So I think it's an, I mean it's a matter of time, and uh, it's been a lot of games, no points. But I feel like, like I said, I think it's you know some hit the post and stuff like that. But I just felt like I think uh, I'm making good plays over there. You had a few instances where it, it has been close, and you kind of like even looked to the sky a few times. Like, how how's the frustration, and are you, how are you dealing with the frustration? Yeah, I, I try to forget. I mean, you know, I can go sixty game without a points at this point. I mean, you wanna you wanna get some points, and but I I stop thinking about it because if not, it's just gonna make me frustrated. So I just say, you know, go day by day. Going out there, like I said, I think, you know, trying to make some plays, trying to get some offense going, and that's what I've been doing. I think it's it's, it's coming. How, yep. much, how much different is it going through a stretch like this in Calgary versus elsewhere? Like, how different is the spotlight here, how you adapt to that? Uh, I mean, the, I don't think I've had a stretch like that, so it doesn't matter where. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a stretch like that. You're not getting any points. You're not getting... You know, the third assist and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to happen. I think, you know, it hasn't been easy here, but it's, it's, you can't let, you know, let that affect you, like, way too much. I think, you know, obviously it's going to affect you, but you, you want to stay, stay in there and, you know, try to get that confidence. I think, you know, making plays gets you that confidence back and the points are going to come. You've always been very honest about how you felt your game was and the times you've been hard on yourself publicly so it's probably I feel like it's good to hear that you're feeling pretty good about your game is that that's fair to say you're I mean I'm, I'm I'm honest I think yeah. about my game and that's what I've been you know all my life so I think it doesn't matter where I play I think you know like I said I think we all know it's been harder here but it's a it's a process and I try to stick with it and like I said I think I see some positive in my game and that's what I, I gotta you know I gotta take that and kind of bring it up and that's what you know if I find all the negative it's, it's just going to bring me down so I think got to dig myself out of the hole and you know like I said keep making plays and at some point the, the puck's going to go in As a guy who likes setting up shooters it's got to be I mean we've seen what Yegor can do we've seen how far his game's come and the way he can just you know bury pucks it's got to be fun thinking about playing with him yeah. in his current form I mean, I was playing with Colts. He's been, it's been hot too. So, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I mean, Yegor's yeah, a, like I said, I think Sharky's a great shooter. You know, Lindy too can can shoot the puck as well. So, I think hopefully, you know, we can get some something going to, together and then get on the same page. And you know, these guys have been playing well too. So, I think I can go in there and a little bit of you know offense to to that line. So that was Jonathan Huberto with us after practice on Thursday. Uh, and here's head coach Ryan Huska, who spoke after practice as well um, and and was asked about Huberto and because he just heard him. You know, he feels like, and I, I think we've all seen, or many of us have seen things maybe over the last five or six games, even though there's no points, maybe there's been a little bit more or a few more opportunities where he's been more dangerous or passes have looked more dangerous. Some of the plays he's been making have looked more dangerous. And uh, that's where Ryan Huska started when talking about Jonathan Huberdo after practice. He made a few last night, you know, but at the end of the day, like we've talked about before, when someone's in a slump, the only way out of it is to dig in and work harder. 
you know, and it's easy to say because, um, you know, for, for a coach to say it, the, the player is like, oh, I got to make plays, I can squeeze my stick tighter, and it gets harder and harder. Um, but at the end of the day, it's you just have to grind and you have to work your way through it and you have to trust that you're a good player and that you can make those plays. And oftentimes when someone goes through a slump like he has right now, um, it, it changes in a hurry. So um, his challenge is to make sure that he's committed to doing things away from the puck as hard as he can to put himself in positions where he gets to play with the puck. Uh, and then from there, it's making sure your feet are always moving um, so you have multiple options when he's looking to pass the puck. So um, it, that's what it's going to come down to for him. It's not anything about looking for things to come easy you have to be prepared for everything to be hard right now and you have to accept that and you have to make sure you're willing to to play through everything that you have to play through in order to get himself back to the the level that he wants to be at what's uh like as a coach and, and you know how important he is to your group yeah. what, what's your role in, in going through that and, and kind of trying to get him to where he needs to be yeah and you know, we have to put them in positions to have success. You know, we also have to think of our team as to how the team's going along at the same time. So it isn't ever about one player, but um, there's a lot of conversations that go back and forth, of course, with all of our players. Brian, what's the balance between, sorry to go back to Jonathan, but like tailoring a, a system to a star player's strength versus having that star player adapt to the system at hand? Like how do you balance, balance those two things as a coach? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we have um, 20 one other players to right on our team so there's uh I, I think anybody can fit into any system i i really do and you look at offensive guys at times um, they maybe have to work a little harder on their checking game in certain situations but they still have the freedom to get the job done and do what they do well um, and that's no different here really at the end of the day um that's what it comes down to. We have a team um, that we expect to play a certain way, and we need to play a certain way in order for us to have success. So that's kind of the way it shakes out. So that's head coach Ryan Huska uh, after getting quizzed on a, a few questions about Jonathan Huberdeau as well. It, it remains a big story with this team. And, you know, I think it is going to be as much as I don't want it to be. Look, I really, really want – Excuse me. I really, really want it to turn. I really, really want it to be a a different narrative because, A, you kind of get sick of it. B, it's like you feel like you're piling on a guy. Um, a guy that you kind of genuinely like. Like, he's been very good to us, very direct. He's, he's never hid from this. He's also very well liked inside that room. There, there's a ton of accountability there. Yes. I think there's a ton of accountability with his teammates as well. You know, he's, he's a leader inside that room, all those types of things Like you, you want it to go, not for even our reasons, just for him, you want it to go in a different direction, but until it does for a extended period of time, this is going to be off and on an issue. I don't, I don't know. There's any doubt about it because that contract is never not going to be part of the conversation. Largest in franchise history. Yeah. And it comes with the territory, and you get the sense that he at least understands that because, as you mentioned, he's been accountable this whole way. For a season and a third, he's been – season and a third, season and a half we're closing in on. He's been there every single time he's been asked to answer the bell, to answer the why aren't you scoring the way you used to score question. Yep. And as much as we're talking about, man, we've, we've done this storyline before – He's sitting there going, man, we've done this storyline before, and this not that that's his priority for scoring, and so he doesn't have to talk to us about not putting pucks in the net or setting guys up for tap-ins, but just you want to see this 
flip or at least slow down a little bit in terms of every couple days, Jonathan Huberto update. Nope, no points. Uh, a few texts. This from Kevin says, uh, I agree with Aaron. I don't think he's been bad. I see Huberto setting people up with no goals. This team also lacks finish. They need to capitalize on opportunities. Uh, this says, if he doesn't start to produce, maybe the Flames can look at trying to make a trade in the same fashion they did with James Neal and Milan Lucic. I really like Huberto as a player, and I think he will break out of it at some point, but who knows how long that's going to take. Is there another player in the NHL right now that is of the same caliber or close salary that's having trouble on his team? New environment for players might result in better production. Uh, Tyler writes, is it time for a problem swap? Meyer in New Jersey for Jonathan Huberto. I, I just I don't think that's an in-season conversation that you can really have. Uh, this says, you guys keep talking about analytics, and it doesn't matter. What matters are the results on the ice, and Huberto is more of a detriment than anything out there right now. Uh, this says... In all seriousness, at what point did the Flames put Huberto on waivers for the purpose of assigning him to the Wranglers to get some confidence back? Uh, or is there something preventing that from occurring? If so, then when is a stint in the press box required? Well, as for waivers, what is preventing that is his full no-movement no clause, which he is able to block a waivers assignment uh, anytime they would even think of or, or would want to think about doing that. As for a stint in the press box, I'm of the belief that that doesn't help anything. I really am. I'm of the belief that that might go in the other direction for you. Well, and I still think he's one of your 12 best forwards, even with the lack of production, to be perfectly honest. So there is That's different ways to send a message. Fair. Like he's, yes, he's not performing at $10.5 million, but he's also not press box. He's also... Yeah, one of your 12 best forwards on the team. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, and finally, obviously, Florida let him go for some reason. Teams don't trade their favorite players. That comes from G. There you go. On the text line at 960-960, we're underway on this hour of Flames Talk with Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement? They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement -y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Time for a Thursday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable. It's brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Steinberg with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Uh, well, first half of the hour was spent uh, almost exclusively, Willsy, talking about Jonathan Huberto as, as the offensive struggles continue, as we know. And practice on Thursday, we, we did see a change. It kind of felt telegraphed. You know, two straight losses. The struggles continue. You felt like maybe after the game against Seattle was a time for a change. And it's just a swap. Huberdo swapping with Manjapani. So Jonathan Huberdo on a line with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich is what we saw at practice Thursday morning. Um, gents, what would give you confidence that now is the right time to try that line again? The line that started training camp together and a line that to, to this point hasn't worked this season, and specifically Huberto and Lindholm have never really found it necessarily going back to last season. What gives you confidence that now is the right time to give it a try again? 
Well, I'm excited to see it because when we talked about potentially mixing up the forward lines last week, that is exactly the swap that I said I would make. Just uh, swap your first and third line left wingers and see if that works because we're talking about two of the three highest paid forwards in the team. Of course, Jonathan Huberto is number one at 10.5 and Andrew Mangiapane is number three at 5.8. And both guys are struggling right now. Of course, we know how badly Jonathan Huberto is struggling to score goals and produce points, uh, pointless in 12, goalless in 17. But, you know, even uh, Andrew Mangiapane, he's goalless in seven. And after scoring two goals in the home season opener, he has scored four goals in 33 games since. So, you know, for me, it's as much about putting Andrew Mangiapane back in a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman as it is about putting Jonathan Huberto back in a line with Elias Lindholm and with Yegor Sharon Govich on the right side of that line. Now, that's a combination the Flames wanted to try early in the season. It uh, didn't work then, but I would say that Lindholm is playing a little bit better now than he was then, and Sharon Govich is playing a lot better now than he was then. And I would say that when he's right, and even last night, fellas, and I'm going to preface my, my next comment by saying that I'm not saying that Jonathan Huberto is playing well because he is a guy who is paid to score goals and produce points, and he's not doing that right now. But he made some incredible plays last night. There were three or four of them where you know, Megan Mickelson and I just looked at each other and, and shook our heads uh, in disbelief that he made a pass between his legs right onto his teammate's stick, or I think it was later on that shift, as a matter of fact, uh, from the far corner made a, a pass across the seam through about uh, 112 guys back to the point that led to a scoring chance. And man, I do wonder if you know one of his teammates could finish on one of these uh, plays that he's making, if it could potentially get him going. But you know when he's right, he is their best playmaker. He is their best passer and one of the best in the game. So now you put him on a line with two shooters. And with the way that Yegor Sharangovich is shooting the puck right now with that one-timer that he's got, I wonder if he can maybe finish some of the plays that Jonathan Huberto starts. And uh, Elias Lindholm, when he's right, is an elite shooter as well. So, again, and we've talked about this for two years now, on paper, Huberto and Lindholm, it looks like it should work. On the ice, it hasn't. Maybe Sharon Govich, now that he's going, will be just what the doctor ordered for that line. But uh, getting back to your question, Pat, they need to get both Huberto and Mangiapane going. So I think swapping the two could potentially work for one or or both of those guys. So what? So is it is it the fact that Sharon Govich is is playing better and and he's kind of found it? Is is that what would give you more confidence that that this works this time around, or or what would that be? Uh, yes, but I can't sit here and say that I have uh, a ton of confidence it's going to work. Uh, I just I don't think what they've been doing has worked. So why not try something new? I, I'm kind of of the same mind. Call it. Oh, apologies there, Wilsey. I'm not necessarily all no, that course. confident that this will work, but I do agree with you in the fact that you have two guys, the one on your top line and one on your de facto third line that aren't producing. I'm not really interested in switching anything with Kadri's line, and I'm okay with the fourth line how it is or rotating in and out between Rizichka and Dewar. The fact of the matter remains is that Huberto has no points in 12 games, and Backlund and Coleman have combined for 17 in that span. There's some special teams work in there, but still, that's a 17-0 that's a to zero kind of ratio. Mangiapane only has 3 in 12. 
where Lindholm and Sharon Govich have combined for 20 in that span. And as you mentioned, there's nothing that really gives me confidence that version three or four, whatever edition we're on of uh, Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm are finally going to connect. I think it's more the fact that Sharon Govich has been your most lethal shooter over the course of the last month. And in theory, Jonathan Huberto should be your best passer. So if you're going to take any sort of inspiration from refiguring your lines, it's that you're not necessarily putting Jonathan Huberto back with Elias Lindholm, in my opinion. It's that you're putting him and pairing him with Sharon Govich on the right side. And it just so happens that Elias Lindholm makes the most sense as the center at that spot. And, and the only reason, Willsie, I followed up on on the, the answer there is because that's kind of where I, I don't know if I've got a high level of confidence or not that it just works. But first of all, I'm kind of all for them doing anything to try to get Huberdeau's game to a higher level and, and to a different level, A. And, and I think while this wouldn't have been the first thing that I would have done, it still makes sense to give it a try again. And I think the reason why it makes more sense now and the reason why, you know, I can be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe there is a chance now that this works a little better is because Sharon Govich's game is at a, at a much higher level. He's way more confident taking shots. Now he's way more confident using that shot. And I know that this doesn't necessarily have anything to do with them at five on five, but I just look at, I look at Wednesday's game against Seattle and that, that power play opportunity they had where unfortunately they didn't score, but they had three minutes and 50 seconds of power play time consecutively, including that five on three stretch for 10 seconds. And Sharon Govich now is using his shot way more than he has at any point prior. He took three, well, he took two shots on that power play and then on the third shot, he faked it because he knew that they were looking for it. So he faked it, moved it down low to Zarian across to Lindholm. And Lindholm was stoned by Chris Drieger on that, that great stop on the pad. And, and I just, that was an example of like, geez, Sharon Govich is confident in his shot, taking that shot, letting it go, and, and not deferring is so much higher. And that's the type of player or a type of player that I think could really thrive with Huberdeau. So, yeah, because, Willsie, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think last night, I look at the L.A. game, I look at the Anaheim game, there have been some really nice plays made by him that haven't been finished off. And, and so, Sharon Govich being one of their most confident finishers right now, I think that gives me a little more confidence that it could work better this time around. So... Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see it. I still really think that Huberdeau with with Kadri and Zeri is something that needs to be in their back of their mind, especially if this doesn't work, then what do you do? But yeah, I I think that would be the reason why I have maybe slightly more confidence it could work this time around than maybe it did in October. Yeah, I might be open to breaking up the Kadri and the kids line if the Flames fall completely out of the playoff race, but I can't break it up right now. It's been their best line for quite some time. That's the one line I don't want to touch. But I'm okay touching the other three lines. And I don't think you want to play Jonathan Huberdeau or Andrew Mangiapane on your fourth line on a consistent basis. We saw Mangiapane there for one game, and then he was bumped back up to the first line. So uh, the other thing about Huberdeau, the way he plays the game, from time to time he's going to turn the puck over. That That's just who he is. That's always been who he is you have to live with that but I think the reason there's such a bright spotlight on on that part of his game is that 
it's not being offset by the goals and the points anymore. So, you know, when he makes a mistake that leads to a chance against or a goal against, you can't say, well, you know, he, he helped the Flames score two or three goals for that one that they just gave up because right. he turned the puck over making a, a low percentage pass that only a handful of guys in this league can make. But one of the things I liked about Jonathan Huberto playing in a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman was that he was playing with two excellent 200-foot forwards. And I think you can say the same thing, putting him in a line with Elias Lindholm and Yegor Sharangovich. The last time those three guys played together, I wasn't sure what Sharangovich was. I'm not sure he knew what he was supposed to be on this Flames team. He was trying to figure all of that stuff out, but both uh, him and Lindholm are excellent 200-foot players, good with the puck, good without the puck. And hopefully when Huberto does turn it over, one of those guys can bail him out. But they're probably the two best shooters as far as the Flames forward group goes. So putting them with uh, the team's best passer, again, on paper, it makes sense. We'll see how it looks on the ice. One of the minor bright spots of Jonathan Huberto's game this month, which he still remains pointless in, is he's actually in the plus column in terms of giveaways, takeaways. He's got six giveaways, eight takeaways on the season. He's got 21 giveaways, 18 takeaways. So he's trending better in that position. To be perfectly honest, this is a lot about finding Jonathan Huberto a new home on a line. But I think Andrew Mangiapane going back with Backlund and Coleman might even have a bigger effect on the Calgary Flames than than the other move, just because you go back a season ago. Guys, guys, guys. That Do you one? see the next question in line? Guys, my my we, apologies. Do we see my apologies. I think we were just going to blend it all together. <laughs> I got we to do, do a reset. I got to... Gee, I I, pre- I I spent hours on this script, and you guys... Way just, to go, Vickers. Uh, you know what? I'll put a fiver in the jar. I, I'm just giving you a hard time. I'll quickly reset, and we can go there. Uh, Wilsey Vickers and Steinberg on your Daily Flames roundtable. What? So so that is the other change, and I know that uh, that's that's the other part that maybe has some people excited about this. Manjapani has historically worked really well with Backlund and Coleman. How come, guys? Like, what what has made them a fit in the past? And I guess how confident are we that they can find it again this time around? Well, as I said off the top, this change for me is as much about putting Mangiapane back with Backlund and Coleman as it is about finding Huberto a new home, in this case with Lindholm and Sharon Govich. And it's a line that has worked and worked really well. And I'm not sure if you're going to get into some of the underlying numbers, Pat, but, you know, at times they've been one of the best lines in the National Hockey League. So why couldn't they be again? And I love how I've heard a number of people describe Andrew Mangiapane over the last handful of days. And we heard Ryan Huska say it again during media availability this morning. When he's at his best, he's like a dog on a bone. And I would say the same about Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman. You know, all three guys are at their best when they play with edge. And I still love the quote from uh, former Flames and current Maple Leafs general manager, Brad Treleving, who said, when Andrew Mangiapane is at his best at the end of a shift, his helmet's on upside down or backwards or sideways, or he's looking through the ear hole, or I can't remember the exact quote, but something along those lines. And, you know, in in too many games this season, he's come off the ice after a shift or after a period or after a game, and he looks pretty unscathed. Uh, That's not who Andrew Mangiapane is when he's the best version of himself. So I think that uh, Backlund and Coleman deserve credit. I think even though he's not producing, Huberto is playing a different brand of hockey now than he was for most of last season 
and even earlier this season. He's going to the hard areas. He's working hard. He's just not getting rewarded. And yeah, he's made some mistakes too, but you know, he's also created a lot. He's just, he's not getting rewarded, at least not yet. And as far as Manjapani is concerned, you know, he isn't a guy who has as much talent as Huberto. He has to work harder for his goals and his points. And I would say that the chip that he's had on the shoulder for his whole hockey career as an undersized guy and a guy who was taken in the sixth round, 166th overall, and had to work really hard in the AHL to get to the NHL, and then uh, in the NHL to go from a fourth liner to a third liner to a second liner to a first liner and to a power play guy and to a a $5.8 million per season player, I think he kind of lost that chip on his shoulder. And we've seen a a more frustrated version of Andrew Mangiapane, a guy who can get himself into trouble Uh, as far as penalties when he's not moving his feet and there's working hard and there's working smart. And there have been some nights where he's worked hard, but hasn't worked smart and and has put himself and his team in a bad spot. So I think putting him back with Backlund and Coleman, who always have excellent work ethic, who are good defensively and who tend to bring the best out of their line mate. I think it could work for Majapani and for the flames. So again, even if, both of these lines, these new look lines don't work. I think there's a really good chance that reuniting Backlund with Majapani and Coleman does work because it's worked so often in the past. Why wouldn't it work again? I don't know whether this is conscious or unconscious from Andre Majapani, but I find him to be a bit of a chameleon when it comes to who he plays with. And he tries to adapt his game a little bit and playing with Sharon Govich, who's a speed guy, who's a skill guy and Elias Lindholm is as well. I think perhaps he forgets sometimes to, to have that lunch pill mentality a little bit. And in my opinion, what made him so successful with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman is he played similar games as basically identical to, to Coleman in a sense, what we've seen out of him where very straight line, very rugged, tough battle, the battle level, the compete level goes through the roof. And that trio last season topped the NHL and expected goals percentage. And they, like the better line than DeBrusque, Bergeron, Marchand, on the best team in recent memory in NHL history. And I think getting that trio back together might remind Mangiapane a little bit what made him successful because he's gotten away from it in my books. And we've talked a lot about it. And that was even... I gave him a bit of a pass last season, even though that line was so effective because his point totals, his goal totals were down. He was playing with a bum shoulder all season. Well, this season, as far as we know, anyway, he's healthy and good to go. And he can get back to that scrappy sort of mentality that he had a couple seasons ago when he scored 35. And I think he's just a better fit stylistically when he can look over to the other side of his wing and see what Blake Coleman's doing and going, that's what I need to do. That's what I'm going to get back to. I I mean, I, I think that it, uh, has a very good chance of working because it always has. And, and honestly, you know, whoever Backlund and Coleman have played with, it's worked. And these three, when they're playing their brand of hockey, all play a very similar style too. And so the the numbers have been strong. If you go back to the 21-22 season when Blake Coleman first arrived here, uh, the the trio of Coleman, Backlund, Manchapani have played just under 800 minutes together at five on five. 
They're a 64.3% possession line win together. Uh, they've outscored the opposition 39-18. to 18. They are almost 66% in expected goals together, which is stupid. Um, they are just under 65% in terms of their high-danger scoring chances. Uh, high-danger or slot chances, 225-4 and 123 against. Like they're, they're, they just they get the job done as a line. So, you know... I still think Manjapani's game is is going to have to take some steps back to where it needs to be, and we've seen it before, but I do think there's pretty good chance that playing with Backlund and Coleman helps get him there. So I'll say this, like whatever happens with the Huberto swap, I don't know if, I, if, if it works with Manjapani going there, I would not be super keen on breaking that trio up if, if it ends up working like it has before. Yeah, and thank you for throwing out some of those underlying numbers. I was hoping that you would. Uh, I wasn't I mean, going to, and then, I, then I, heard right your su- I heard your subtle hint, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll quickly go. Yeah, I'm begging, begging you for it. But uh, no, those are, I mean, impressive stats. And we're not talking about uh, a short-term look at that line. They have played together a lot, and they've been really effective. So I have uh, quite a bit of confidence that that trio is going to work again. And uh, thinking about some conversations we had must be a couple of months now since they put Huberto with Backlund and Coleman. But one of the reasons why I didn't love the idea of those three guys playing together long-term is because on most nights, Backlund and Coleman have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, playing against the other team's top line, way more defensive zone starts than offensive zone starts. And I just don't think that's the best fit for Huberto. I'd like to get him more favorable matchups. I'd like to start him in the offensive zone way more often than the defensive zone. Now, Lindholm's Lindholm's line takes on very similar uh, matchups and very similar responsibility. So there is that. There is that. But I I think you can, with Huberto back on that line, maybe try to get them some more favorable matchups. Now, I also think they're trying to protect the Kadri line, the Kadri and the kids line, because... You know, they don't want them starting in the defensive zone all the time. And, you know, they like to get them on the ice against the other team's third and fourth liners or, or third defense pairings. So uh, we'll, we'll see what Ryan Huska does here. But uh, I do think that this is something that could work. And, hey, the Flames have one line that's been playing really well for a long time. And that's Nazem Kadri between Connor Zeri and Martin Pospisil. If they could get one more line going in their top nine, it makes them a, a much more dangerous team. So even if one of these lines starts to work on a consistent basis, I think it's going to be a positive change for the Flames. And you know, call me crazy, but I still think there's a chance that uh, Huberto and Lindholm, with Sharon Govich on the right side of that line, playing uh, maybe the best hockey of his career right now, I, I think there's a chance that those three guys could work together. And if the Flames could ever get uh, you know two lines going on a regular basis, uh, even if one of those uh, top three lines uh, have, was having an off night, then again, they're a team that I think is going to be a lot tougher to beat. So I'm anxious to see how these new look lines look uh, when the Flames play their final game of, of 2023 on Saturday night or Sunday night. Sunday night, New yeah, Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Did you know this year, the New yeah. Year's Eve game, they're going to play it on the 31st, just so if you're uh, if you're aware of that. Thank you, Wellesie. We'll uh, well, see you at practice. That's exciting. Go ahead, so, That's exciting, and so is the 6 o'clock start as opposed to I do 8 like p.m. That. 
on New Year's Eve, which I didn't think was the greatest idea. So we will see you tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Willsie. Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. As uh, Thanks to Taylor and Cam, our producers, and that'll wrap us up on our daily Flames Roundtable. It's brought to you, as always, by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.